Thank you, Terry, and also Sharon. I uh, really enjoyed the music this morning. It's been outstanding. Thank you so much. Turn your Bibles again, to please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In our scripture text this morning, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is using an Old Testament story to challenge God's people to stand firmly for the Lord, but not to stand with overconfidence. The verse we looked at together was, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. We're going to see from Scripture, one of the most vulnerable times for God's people to fall is during God's blessings. When we're experiencing the, the great blessings of God is when we're most vulnerable to fall from the Lord. So he used an Old Testament story to, to challenge us to stand firmly. I'd like to look at three things we're going to look at God's favor, Israel's failure, and the possibility of falling. God's favor, Israel's failure, and the possibility of falling. In your bulletin, you'll find an insert to go along with the message. I hope you'll use that and fill in the blanks. Let's begin talking about God's favor. God's favor. He said in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Basically, he's going to talk about what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness and do that that we might learn from their failures, learn from their mistakes. When I was a boy, uh, I remember a time my sister accidentally shut her finger in the door of the car and it didn't, do, it didn't hurt her much, a little bruised a little bit, but my dad realized it could have been a lot worse. So he took me, my brother, and my sister out to the garage and you're going to show us how to open and close a garage door. And he made it, not, not the car door, not the garage door, thank you, the car door. And he said, you open the door and you close the door the same way by using the handle. You don't use the frame of the door to shut the door. Use the handle. And so he made that very clear. So several weeks later, we took a trip and, got out and put, my dad pulled the car in the garage. And my brother was getting out of the car, and he was in a hurry. So he grabbed the edge of the door. It was an old sedan. Grabbed the top edge, and he slammed the door, thinking he might get his hand out quick enough, and slammed these three fingers in the door. It just by instinct, he snatched his finger hand out of there. And the process, the two of the fingers made it okay, but the small finger, he snatched all the flesh and uh, off his finger. And I looked over there, I could see part of the bone sticking out. And my dad saw that, and he told me to go get some ice and rag. And long story short, he took him to the hospital, and, and it turned out to be fine. They put it all back on, other than scarring. But when we got back to the house, my dad told me, he says, son, learn from my instruction, but learn from your brother's destruction <laughs> of his finger. Learn from his mistake. And so God has given us the failure of Israel that we might learn from their mistakes and apply it to our lives. So often, many times, we think, I'm good, I'm standing firm for God, and God says, take heed, ye that standeth, take heed, lest you fall. So let's look at how God favored Israel. Let's look at the blessings God bestowed upon Israel to begin with. First of all, there's five blessings enjoyed by Israel. Number one, we see there in verse 1, the Israelites enjoyed God's supernatural guidance and protection. While they were in the wilderness, Israelites enjoyed God's supernatural guidance and protection. It says that there in verse 1, 
and said, I would not have that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud. Now, the cloud was used by God for two reasons, for guidance and protection. While they wandered through the wilderness, God gave them guidance by the cloud. Now, instead of sake of time, I won't have you turn with me. I'm going to read some of this account from the Old Testament so you can see what I'm talking about. In Exodus 13, verse 21, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and led them the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. So God used the cloud for guidance. As he wanted them through the wilderness to bring them to the promised land, he guided them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But the cloud was also used for guidance. It was used also for protection. For example, what is the temperature light in the desert during the daytime? Extremely hot. So God used the cloud to shade his people from the heat. But also at nighttime, what's the temperature like at nighttime? Very cold. So God used a pillar of fire to bring heat. So he used the cloud to guide them, to protect them. That was God's way of taking care of his people. Next, the next favor or blessing God bestowed upon them is the Israelites experienced God's miraculous deliverance. The Israelites experienced God's miraculous deliverance. You all know the story by the mighty hand of God, God delivers people out of the bondage of Egypt. He brought 10 plagues upon Egypt. And in the midst of those plagues, Pharaoh hardened his heart and said, I will not let my people go. And the last plague, he said, okay, get out of here, leave. So all Israel left Egypt and began to go towards the promised land. And they came to the Red Sea. Now, in the meantime, the Pharaoh changed his mind. And he sent his army out there to get them and bring them back and bring them to bondage. And they came to the Red Sea. And God supernaturally delivered them through the sea. What did God do? He parted the Red Sea. He allowed them to go across on dry ground. They got to the other side, and the Egyptian army followed them. And while they were in the midst of the sea, what did God do? He brought the sea back again, drowned and wiped out the whole Egyptian army. You know, interesting. There's so many, even scholars, doubt miracles in the Bible. I was reading a book, and, and this person was a liberal. He said, this could not happen. God could not do that. He said, basically, the Israelites crossed across when that tide was out. The tide went out. They crossed upon maybe ankle deep water and got to the other side. And so, you know, uh, a greater miracle, if that was true, a greater miracle happened. All the Egyptian army drowned in ankle deep water. <laughs> but basically, God delivered them in a supernatural way. He gave them guidance. He protected them and delivered them uh, while in the wilderness. Next. The Israelites were all baptized into Moses. The next blessing of God's favor, the Israelites were all baptized into Moses. I'll explain that to you. It says in verse 2, and, by the way, if you notice, as he talks about God's blessings, you see in, verse, in the middle part of verse 1, it says, and, verse 2, and, verse 3, and, verse 4, and. I always talk about the different blessings of God bestowed upon Israel during this time. And here it says in verse 2, And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, the 
The book of Exodus 14.31 says this, Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. When he said they all baptized in Moses, what that meant is God provided Moses as their leader, and they identified with Moses as their spiritual head who became the object of their trust. God provided guidance, protection, deliverance, and he provided a man, a man of God, to deliver them out of Egypt and through the wilderness. The next blessing, number four, letter D. God supernaturally provided food for the Israelites. Now, he's talking about over and again how God blessed them in a tremendous way and favored them by providing food. In the desert, there is no food. And so God supernaturally provided food. It says in verse 3, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. Now, that refers to manna. Manna was supernaturally provided by God. And it says, Exodus 16, verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you every day. And by the way, how long did he provide manna? All 40 years they wondered. So God realized there was no food. He provided a supernatural food that would nourish their bodies, meet all their physical needs by the food called manna. He did it every day for a period of 40 years in a supernatural way. So manna in the morning, then meat in the evenings. Meat through a bird called a quail. Quail in the evenings. Exodus 16, verse 8. And Moses said, The Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and the morning bread to be full. So again, God's taking care of his people. Provided guidance, direction, deliverance, a, uh, a leader, and now providing food. The next thing God provided, the fifth blessing, was water. God supernaturally provided water for the Israelites while in the desert. Verse 4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Talking about the personal presence of Christ himself in the Old Testament, providing water for them. The scripture says in the Old Testament, Exodus 17, verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou shalt smotest the river, take it in thy hand. And behold, I will stand before thee upon a rock of Horeb. Thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. So God supernaturally provided for his people guidance, protection, deliverance, a leader, food, and water. God took care of his people. So we have God's favor. Now, look at Israel's failure. Israel's failure. And this failure was experienced in the midst of these blessings. Look in verse 5, please. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. And notice there now, he uses the word but. But. With many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What he's saying here The presence of these supernatural blessings in the lives of the Old Testament Israelites did not produce spiritual growth or obedience. On the contrary, in spite of them, only two of the Israelites made it to the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. All the rest of them were disqualified and died. So what he does here, in in, uh, paralleling with the fivefold blessing, now he gives a fivefold failure. 
how they, Israel failed. In spite of all these wonderful things God did for his people, how they failed. First of all, letter number six, I'm sorry, verse six is letter A, is the Israelites craved the pleasures of Egypt. The Israelites craved the pleasures of Egypt. It says in verse six, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In other words, while in the wilderness, being provided for, protected, and blessed by God, they began to lust after what they had in, in, uh, in Egypt. They lusted after that. First of all, they were not content with the food God provided. What food did God provide for them? Manna. Now listen to this, please. It says in Numbers 11, verse 4, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? In verse 6, But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. God provided manna and said, That's not enough. I want more. So often, God's people, being blessed by God, not content with what God provides. And they want what the world provides. And it goes on to say, they remembered the pleasures of Egypt. They remembered the pleasures of Egypt. In verse 5 of Numbers 11, he said, We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. They remembered what they had in there. So they began dissatisfied what God provided for them and wanted what they had before they were delivered. Now listen carefully, please. Many Christians were saved out of a horrible, sinful lifestyle, and they know how God delivered them and changed their lives. But what the devil would do, please listen, he'll get you to remember the pleasures of sin, but not the heartache and misery it brought, and try to get you to go back to that old lifestyle. So many Christians were saved out of a horrible lifestyle and how God changed their lives, sometimes we see them go back to that lifestyle because they remember the pleasures of sin, but not the heartache. That's exactly what happened to Israel. They remembered uh, all the pleasure they had in Egypt, but they forgot the bondage, they forgot the pain that went there. Go with me now to Hebrews 11, please. Keep your finger in Corinthians. Hebrews 11, page 1693. The devil will use the joys, the pleasures of your past to get you to go back to your way of life. That's exactly what was going on in the life of Israel. Hebrews 11, verse 15, please. Hebrews 11, 15. It says in verse 15, speaking of Abraham and Sarah, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had the opportunity to have what? Otherwise, when we become mindful and begin to think about the, maybe the pleasures, the fun we had, our unsaved life, it gives us the opportunity to go back to it. And so when the devil reminds you of the past, stop thinking that. Focus on what God has for you. And basically, that's what they lusted after the things Israel, I mean, Egypt provided and were tempted to go back. The next failure is Israel participated in idolatry. Israel participated in idolatry. In verse 7, and, and remember that when he talked about the blessings, he said, and, 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 and. Now he talks about the failures. 
He says, verse 7, neither. Verse 8, neither. Verse 9, neither. Verse 10, neither. It was these things you should not do. They participated in idolatry. Verse 7, neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, here's a question for you. Can a Christian today be guilty of idolatry? Now, the story is here. I'll give you when you turn there. That Moses was up on the mountain getting the uh, Ten Commandments. And he was up there for a long, 40 days. And they began to wonder, where is our leader at? Where is he at? And so they went to Aaron and said, why don't you make us a God that can deliver us through the wilderness? So uh, Aaron said, give me all your earrings. And he took the earrings and molded it and made a calf. And said, this being the God that delivers you out of the land. And so they turned from the living God to an idol. Now, today we're too sophisticated, aren't we? We don't bow down to images like a, a statue of a person or an animal. But however, Christians have idols. Listen carefully, please. An idol is anything you put before God in your life. Anything that becomes first other than God is an idol. So many Christians today, sometimes men, they want to outdo the Smiths. They want a nicer car. They want a bigger house. So they begin to work on Sundays to stay away from God's house to get more money. Money becomes a God to them. Sometimes parents want their kids to be active and be good in sports. And the sports they play at maybe during the week now begins to practice on Sundays. So they take the kids out of church and put them in sports on Sunday and because that becomes a God, more important than the God in their life. And so often, many Christians do that. Israel did it, and God's wanting us to do the same thing. Next, the next failure is the Israelites were involved with sexual immorality. The Israelites were involved with sexual immorality. This is associated right with the idolatry. He says in verse 8, 1 Corinthians, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Now, if you back up in verse, uh, verse 10, it says there, the people sat, maybe it's verse 9 there, the people, I'm sorry, verse 7. The latter part of verse 7 says, the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to what? Now, that doesn't mean they rose up to play board games or play cards. The word play there refers to sexual immorality. It said, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell. Basically, do not turn there, but Exodus 32, it came to pass when Moses coming down from the mount after getting the Ten Commandments. In verse 19, and it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, he saw the calf and dancing. And Moses' anger was hot. In verse 25, when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto the shame among the enemies. So the dancing and the playing was not playing board games. It was involved in immoral behavior. In fact, they were naked. So they began to be involved with sexual immorality. Can a Christian be, be guilty of fornication? Now, the Corinthian believers did. Chapter 5 and chapter 6, they were involved with fornication. Can Christians do that today? Yes, they can. And so we need to be careful in that area of our lives. Many men pride themselves. I would not cheat on my wife physically. They cheat on the wife mentally. 
The Bible said, if a man looketh upon a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery already. So many Christians commit fornication, whether it be physically or mentally. Next, the next failure of Israel. is letter D, the Israelites questioned God's plan and purpose for their lives. They questioned what God was doing, his purpose for their lives. Verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. In other words, number 21 records the story of people questioning the goodness and plan of God who was carrying them through the wilderness and providing and protecting them. The word tempt Christ here means this. It means to try his patience, provoke him to anger in such a way to see how much he will bear and put up with us while we go do wicked things. The Israelites tempted him, tried his patience by complaining and voicing dissatisfaction with his dealings. So often, God allows things in our lives we don't like, and we complain. We don't like what God is doing. We don't like the things he's allowing in our lives. We complain. We tempt the Lord. And that goes on to the next one. Letter E is Israel complained about the actions of God. They tempted God and complained. They began to murmur. Do you ever do that? You ever murmur what God is doing in your life, what he's allowed? Maybe it's physical, financial troubles. And you begin to complain what God's doing in your life. That's what Israel did. And God judged them for that. So number one, we saw God's favor. We saw Israel's failure. And lastly, let's look at the possibility of falling. He mentioned this because it's possible for you and I to fall. First of all, he talks about learning from others. Learning from others. My dad wanted me to learn from my brother on how not to shut a door. Learn from his instruction, my brother's destruction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, he says, now all these things, what things? The judgment of God upon Israel because of their failures happened to them for examples. I'm talking about examples. And they are written for our admonition whom the ends of the world are come. You realize the Old Testament is written for our learning there is a movement today among many churches. The Old Testament is not for today. All is for today as the Apostle Paul's writing. So they don't neglect the Old Testament. But the Bible says in Romans 15, verse 4, For whatsoever was written aforetime, talking about the Old Testament, were written for our learning, and that we might, through patience and comfort of scriptures, might have hope. It was written for us, for our learning. But also, it was written as a warning. It says there in verse 10, not a part, and they are written for our admonition. The word admonition means rebuke, a warning. So basically, Paul referred to the Old Testament, the lifestyle of the Israelites while in the wilderness, that we can learn from them, that we can be warned about what happens when people uh, fail and bring God's judgment upon their life. The next, not only learning from others, let's talk about heeding God's warning. Heeding God's warning. Look at verse 12. Here's a warning of overconfidence. He says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he what? You remember, one of the most vulnerable times for you to fall is in the midst of God's blessings. God mentioned, Paul mentioned, five supernatural blessings God bestowed upon his people. And yet, amidst it all, they failed. So maybe you're here today. And you can say, boy, God's blessed me. God's taken care of me. He's provided for me in so many different ways. 
and how I'm standing strong for the Lord. The Bible says, it goes on to say, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest you what? Israel fail, the Corinthians fail, and we can fall. Because we let our guards down. In the midst of blessing, we think everything's going well. We let our guards down and we can fall. So one of the most dangerous times for the believer is the midst of God's blessings. So he says, learn from others, heed God's warning, and lastly, understanding temptation. Understanding temptation. It says in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Let me give you three facts about temptation. Number one, it's common to all men. Everybody is tempted. It says, there is no temptation taking you, but such is common. The word common means that which is human, a man of men. Everybody experiences temptation. Somebody says, Pastor, nobody knows what I'm going through. My friend, everybody knows what you're going through. It may not be the same area of temptation, but we're all tempted. Christ was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So he understands, and we understand. Temptation is common. Next thing about temptation, temptation is under God's control. Temptation is under God's control. It goes on to say, but God is faithful. Who will not suffer means allowing you to be tempted above that you're able. With every temptation is a check valve. It's called God's faithfulness. Now, I'm dating myself. They may still have them. My mother used to cook. She had a pressure cooker. You know what I'm talking about? It was a round pot. And, and you could put food in it and you would seal it. It had a little thing on top. Remember the steam would come out? A little heavy thing on it. It would just let some of the steam out very gradually, but allow the food to be cooked. That little top was a, a, about a pressure cooker. It was like a check valve. If you sealed the thing completely, it would probably explode. And basically what it's saying here, so you won't explode because of temptation. We have a check valve. It's God's faithfulness. God will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able. That's his promise. But listen carefully. We must do our part. A verse be on the screen. Romans 13, 14. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh that you may fill the lust thereof. For example, you may have been saved out of an alcoholic background and still have temptation to drink. What I encourage you to do, don't go to the bar and hang around with your buddies when they drink because you're given, uh, uh, basically, you're given provision for the flesh. One man said, Pastor, every time I go to the bar, I end up drinking and getting drunk. I say, don't go to the bar. Don't hang around those who drink. You've got a problem with drinking. Someone said, Pastor, I have a problem with gossiping. Then don't hang around people that gossip. You make provision for the flesh. One man said, Pastor, I have struggled with pornography. Then don't hang around the computer or your phone. God gives provision for the flesh or put protection on it. That's one way that temptation can become too great. We get provision for the flesh. Number three, the third thing about temptation is common. It's under God's control. And lastly, it comes with a companion. It comes with a companion. Again, verse 13, the latter part. He said, but will with the temptation... Also, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The way to escape is not escape temptation, but the defeat of temptation. 
This is a nautical term, which means the idea of making it through a storm safely to the other side. To bear it means endure it. The companion that comes with temptation is the strength to endure it. God will give you the strength to endure the temptation. One more scripture and we'll close with this. Go with me now to Psalm 37. Will you turn there, please? Psalm 37, we'll close with this. We began, we saw God's favor in the, in the midst of the blessings God bestowed his favor upon Israel. We saw Israel's failure. That no matter how much God blessed them, they still failed. But we saw the possibility of falling. And we can fall if we become overconfident and think we never happen. But I love this verse. Psalm 37, page 849. Psalm 37, verse 23. It says here in verse 23, Psalm 37, 23. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. You know what it's saying here? Uh, the good man whose steps are directed by God, God delights in that. I believe David's talking about himself here. David was a man after his own heart. But read the next verse. Verse 24. Though he fall. Who's the he? The good man. The man whose steps are ordered by the Lord. The man whom God delights. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Look up here, please. My friend, all of us fall at times. But the wonderful promise of God. Though you fall. You will not be utterly cast down. You will not lose your salvation. Why? Because God holds us with his hand. A corresponding verse in the New Testament, John 10, 28. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my, what? Hand. Look up here, please. Close your Bibles. Look up here. Illustration. Probably not the one you're thinking of. Look up here, please. Many people picture salvation, and let this hand represent God in heaven, and they picture salvation that God reaches down and the sinner grabs hold of God and may hold on to God. They think, as long as I hold on, I'm faithful and I'm strong, I'll make it. But if I become weak and fall from God, I lose my salvation. That's not the Bible salvation. Salvation is this way. God reaches down, the sinner comes to Christ, and God holds on to us that we're in his hands. So no matter how unfaithful, weak, and how I fall, I shall not be able to cast down because he upholds me with his hand. And God gives me eternal life. He said, I will never perish. Why? Because neither shall any man pluck you out of my hand. The God who saves you is also the God who keeps you. So my friend, if you do fall, realize you will not be utterly cast down. So let me close with this. Some of you are right now in the midst of God's blessing. And you're enjoying what God's doing in your life. Wonderful. Thank God for it. But be careful. You're in a situation where you're the most vulnerable to fall. Because Paul said, you know, take heed. Basically, ye who think you standeth, take heed lest you fall. Because Israel fell in the midst of God's greatest blessings. And so did the Corinthians. But maybe you're here today and you have fallen. You're here today because you want to get back right with God. I love 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You come back, Lord, acknowledge your failure, confess it to God, and he'll forgive you and cleanse you. 
And so, whether you're standing strong or falling, my friend, is a message for you from this passage today. Let's bow together, please. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many say, Pastor, that message was for me? I realize, though God has blessed me so much, I have fallen. I made decisions that are disappointing to God, that are contrary to God's word. And I want to get back right with God. I want to have a relationship with God that is pleasing to him, to walk in fellowship with him. Pastor, I need your prayers. If that's your desire this morning and you want me to pray for you, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Yes, 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 all over, so many here today. God bless you. Let me say, Pastor, I'm, that's not me. I'm standing strong. God's blessed me so much, and I'm enjoying all he's provided and done for me, and I'm standing strong for the Lord. I want to encourage you. That's a wonderful place to be, but be careful. That's where so many people do fall. I encourage you, you who think you're standing, hey, please, lest you also fall. But maybe here today, and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. My message today was for the believer and in the walk with the Lord. Let me ask you a question as we wrap it up today. My friend, if you were to die today or 10 years from day, would you go to heaven? You may say, Pastor, I think so. I hope so. But do I know I'm going to heaven? No, I don't know. My friend, you can know. The Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. And that comes by simply trusting Christ to be your personal Savior. Trust him to save you and forgive you and give you eternal life. And God will. If you have never done that before, why not do that right now? How do I do that, Pastor? Talk to God and say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Because I've sinned, I've earned your punishment. But God, I believe Jesus was punished in my place. I believe when he died on the cross, he died for me was buried and rose again and realizing I cannot save myself. I'm trusting Christ to save me, forgive me, and to give me eternal life. My friend, did you trust Christ as Savior? If you did, I'd like to pray for you also. I'd like to know if anyone did that today, so I include you in my closing prayer. So with heads bowed and eyes are closed, if what I said made sense to you and you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we simply raise your hand so I can pray for you also. Anyone at all this morning? Pastor, I trust in Christ. Please pray for me. Anyone at all? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that so many here, uh, by the raised hands, that they're experiencing your blessings and how good you have been to them and how they're standing firmly. But Father, help them realize that's the most vulnerable time to fall. Father, many raise their hand and realize they have fallen. They're here desiring to get right with you. We thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from our righteousness. I pray now, Father, as I pray, they would pray and acknowledge their sinfulness to God, asking for forgiveness. So, Father, we pray now your blessing upon each one of us. We go our separate ways, watch over, protect us, bring us back to the next appointed hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.